Kimberly C. Paul. As I travel throughout each state, I realize that death is just a moment. It is how we live until that moment that matters. Finding connection with friends, family, and complete strangers. Journey with me. This is the Live Well, Die Well Tour. So, Justin, I'm so happy to be talking to someone who's in my home state of North Carolina. Yeah, that's right. You know, I miss it. I'm in Nebraska. Um, so, of course, you know, we just experienced the hurricane um, over the last few days, even though this is pre-recorded, but still um, glad that wasn't as bad as it sounded or could have been. Um, but, you know, I, I'm so glad you reached out because what I love is when people reach out and share that they have a program that is a little bit more unique than than I ever heard about, which is so cool. But before we get started to talk about what you're actually doing in this innovative program, tell me how were you drawn uh, to working with people with serious illness? Yeah, it's a good question. So I'm a psychologist here at the University of North Carolina Cancer Hospital, um, and I've been doing this work um, with uh, patients with cancer for gosh. 13, 14 years. Um, wow. And it was back when I was in my training and there was just, I had an opportunity to work with a, uh, a pediatric population. Uh, at that time, it was children with diabetes and uh, working with um, children and families around the, around the notion of coping with a, either an acute or a chronic illness. Um, something about that uh, uh, attracted me and, 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 and trying to, or had an opportunity to be with and work with families during that that trying time really, uh, really spoke to me. And so since then I've, um, specialized working in the oncology world and now work with, uh, children, adolescents and adults, uh, who have cancer, um, here at the hospital and as well as their families. Is that hard? Cause you know, with my experience with hospice, it, it tended to when children or teenagers or young people, came across with hospice needing hospice services, it used to hit our clinical staff really, really hard. Is there compassion fatigue in your business or, you know, how do, how do you deal with it? Yeah, I think the, the truth is that there's absolutely compassion fatigue. And that's something my colleagues here at the hospital and I um, talk about uh, somewhat frequently because, you, you know, what, what you don't want is for the, the, the experience or the feeling of, of, of having a young person or, or an adult um, to the end of life to, to have that feel routine or have that feel um, so that it doesn't resonate. And uh, the truth is, I think you do it enough that um, that that tends to happen. And so we we do what we can to either guard against that. And I, I think what I found was helpful is is just sharing and talking with colleagues and being honest about my experience and um, and honest about the ones that really hit hard and honest about the ones that um, that that almost do kind of creep toward feeling routine and that, and that's oh, good for you. Yeah. And I, I think in, in some ways I think that's normal and that's why we talk about it. And that's why you know, the compassion fatigue is a real thing. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's anything to be uh, ashamed of or feel like we need to hide. Um, but I, I think it is certainly worth a conversation in our business. Yeah. You know, when you're totally present with patients who have a serious illness, um, it weighs on you. 
And uh, I think, uh, yeah, it's about work-life balance and you have young kids and yeah, I'm sure you look in their eyes and wonder why aren't my kids sick and and can just imagine what you must go through. Yeah. So that, that, I've certainly had that thought many times, and since, um, and we'll talk about it in a minute, I'm sure, since we've done our work with the Widowed Parent Program, um, I, I've I've looked at my um, my marriage, my parenting, my kind of lot in life a, a little bit differently as well, um, much in the same way. Uh, yeah, you tend to realize how, you realize how fragile life is, and it can change on a dime. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we all kind of uh, operate with an assumed future that we think is going to play out kind of like we think it will and that we're going to live to be old and we're going to, um, you know, die before or you know, die after our parents, but before our children. And that's kind of the way life goes. And then when it doesn't go that way um, and, it, and it's right in front of you and you're, and you're in that space, uh, it, yeah, it can, uh, it can, it can make you think. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your program at uh, the Comprehensive Cancer Center right there in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Yeah. So this we started doing this. And when I say we, I uh, started out with my uh, colleague, Don Rosenstein, who's a psychiatrist here at the hospital. Um, about, gosh, it's been almost 10 years ago now. We, um, we both work, of course, with um, patients and families who are facing cancer. And it so happened that about 10 years ago, um, we worked with um, several young women uh, who all had advanced cancer and were all the mothers of young children. And uh, sadly, all three of these moms passed away around the same time. And during one of our clinical meetings, uh, we got to talking about that and were just wondering and thinking about their husbands, who we had come to know a little bit during their wife's treatments. Um, and just kind of wondering and thinking what they must be going through. And so Don actually told me, he's like, you know what, we should, we should uh, refer them to a local support group for, for, widowed, for widowed dads. And I thought, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I'll, I'll do that. Thinking naively that such a thing existed or that there was even that kind of niche out there. And I looked around and the more I looked, the more it became apparent that not only was there nothing like that in, in our area here in North Carolina, but that the what we saw is the potentially unique needs and circumstances and challenges facing widowed parents really had been uh, overlooked nationwide and across the board. And so that struck us as, as just a real oversight. And so we decided, you know what, if no one's doing it, it seems like something that someone should be doing. Why don't, why don't we throw our hats in the ring and, and, and form a support group for at that time for widowed fathers and so we did just that. So we contacted the three guys um, who we had come to know. We were able to reach out and find a few others and started a support group. And uh, again, naively, it's kind of a theme here. Uh, <laughs> Don and I kind of thought, thought we knew what we were doing and thought we knew what would be good. And we had, we had this whole plan, uh, six month or six session intervention uh, once a month. And they, they, we would have these guys come in and we would do kind of half psychoeducation, kind of a didactic thing, and then give them time to talk. It was going to last six sessions, and that was going to be our intervention. First night, we had all these guys together, and we asked them to all introduce themselves, go around the room and tell us how they had come to be here. And each one talked about uh, their loss of their wives, their wife's illness, the loss. And 
the kind of tsunami they faced as being a, an, an only parent dealing with their own grief, figuring out how to help their children grieve, figuring out how to put dinner on the table, and at some point think about moving forward and putting one foot in front of the other. And so these guys went around the room one by one, and Don and I, are, we work in a cancer hospital, right? So we're, you know, we're used to hearing tragic stories. But it was something about hearing one after another, after another, after another, and seeing these men just uh, look and appear, uh, you know, almost broken, that left us, uh, you know, speechless uh, for a little bit. And uh, and the whole room was actually silent for, I don't know how long it was, it felt like a long time. Um, and we each kind of thought, you know, wow, this, this might not be what these guys need. This might be the first and last meeting of this support group. Um, <laughs> but the second half of that first meeting, the guys ended up connecting and talking about their experiences and really uh, bonding over what made their circumstances different than, um, say, others. Um, and by the end of that first meeting, one of the guys said, you know, if this works, um, why would we just do this for six sessions? And Don and I didn't have a great answer, so we said, well, do you want to keep it open-ended? And the guy said, yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's do this as long as we feel like it'll be helpful. And another guy said, you know, um, this has really been helpful hearing from each other. He didn't say, you know, not hearing from you guys, but really the clear value was hearing from each other. And so Don and I decided to scrap the whole plan of us teaching them and decided to make it more of a discussion-based group. So, uh, <laughs> How we started that night and how we ended that night, we, we ended with a whole new way of going forward. And this group that we had planned to meet for six sessions, uh, this group of men met together for uh, almost four years. And, um, yeah, and it, 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 it was amazing. These men are, um, you know, really special to us. They were the first group that we did. We've done many more since, but they were the first. Um, they taught us so much. Uh, we, with their permission uh took notes throughout the session we learned you know, we had a front row seat for learning what these men um what their challenges were what their challenges are um and really and 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 really experiencing with them as much as we could um kind of the the the, the growth the setbacks and they were there for each other when they had setbacks they celebrate each other's um intermittent successes um, whether it comes with their own grief or figuring out how to put dinner on the table or figuring out how to have a difficult conversation with their kids. And these men were just, um, they are just remarkable. They're, they're just incredible. Um, and aside from helping each other, like I said, they really helped Don and I understand what was going on. And it became clear to us that there's no way that the experiences of widowed moms and dads uh, weren't deserving of more attention. So with... So with, with the partner, we partnered with these men too, and they really helped us uh, build a program. And so since then, it's been, like I said, almost 10 years. Um, we've expanded our reach. We have another colleague, uh, Dr. Lisa Park, who's, um, who's a big part of our team now, and she leads our research effort. We've conducted a couple of studies, one we just closed that over 1,000 widowed parents participated in, so we can learn more about that, you know, aside from just our own anecdotal experiences. Um, we've created a website, um, that the guys uh, helped us out with widowedparent.org that, um, we hope widowed parents will find and feel like it's a place where they can, um, 
feel like they belong and to feel like they can get some either some guidance or advice on what we've learned. Um, watch some of the videos of the parents who have volunteered their experiences. Um, we wrote the book on these seven guys. And so they, they really helped us uh, launch this effort that um, that we've been doing now and have plans to continue. That was a long well, answer to your well, initial. No, it's great, though, because, you know, I've gotten I got chills just because, you know, when you're grieving, um, you always feel like you're alone. And even though your situation is specific to you and it is different. Do you, I, I can't tell you how it helps me to talk with other people um, who's lost someone of the same age. You know, my boyfriend was 30 years old with melanoma, and it helps me to see another girl talk about her boyfriend. It just is a, is a bridge that I can't even, it's a connection that I can't explain. Yeah, and, we, and we've heard, and so we now have groups for um, mothers and fathers, and so we hear from moms and dads. Um, often that, you know, that they will have tried maybe grief support programs through hospice and that those are helpful and good, but they're usually populated by people in their seventies and eighties, um, who it's not to say whose grief is, is, is more profound. It's just, it's just a different set of challenges, Sure, you know, grieving a relationship that lasted 40 or 50 years and having grown children out of the house, if you do, is, is one thing. And mourning a marriage that was cut far too short. And, you know, a, a lot of the challenges these parents face is not just grieving what they lost, but grieving what they won't have in the future. Mm. And, and trying to be there for the kids in a way that they don't feel, or it's really hard to feel like you're there for your kids in a complete way. Um, cause you're trying to do the work of two parents and you're trying to be mom and dad. And that's a pretty impossible chore that you're going to inevitably, inevitably fall short of. And to hear others say that they're falling short, uh, and to be able to kind of talk about things that you wouldn't dare bring up with other people cause you don't think they would understand. Uh, there, there's really no, there's no substitute for that. And we, you know, the, the collective power of the group experience and the, and the connections um, is, is not something that we think, I mean, it's just not, it just can't be duplicated in, in any other kind of form. I think it's awesome. And yeah. you, you said you, you mentioned the book. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about the book. And when did this come out? Because this is the crazy thing. Um, you know, I've been in North Carolina for 20 years and this is when you reached out to me and I started researching. I'm like, holy cow, I had, this is a hidden jewel. And I was so happy <laughs> to, first of all, being in my state and doing something innovative, but also I'm a really big researcher and I love research because it can help other people. Um, tell me a little bit about the book and then we'll go into what you're doing with all this research. Yeah. So the book really came about um, toward the end of when the guys were, um, Toward the end of their almost four years together, that first group of men, um, Don, my colleague, and I started thinking that we, we had learned so many lessons. And these men's individual stories and their collective story was just so compelling and instructive that we, we wanted people to know about it. And so we came to the guys with the idea of writing this book about their experiences and using their you know, individual and collective experiences 
um, to, to really kind of magnify some, some themes of, of grief and adaptation and even how you grow from loss. And so what we do, well, what the book does is tell their four-year story but within that, we weave in and out of the in and out of that thread. We weave in and out um, uh, contemporary thinking on uh, on grief and adaptation, and we're um, we're we're fans of the dual process model. Um, so we we kind of have an explainer about that. We talk about post traumatic growth, um, about the about the courage it takes to reimagine a life um, when the one you first imagined was shattered and the one that you have to imagine moving forward is no more guaranteed than the one you've already lost. So that takes a little bit of courage and a little bit of guts. Oh, totally. Yeah. And so, so the book is the experience of these men with the other stuff weaved in and out. And, um, I love it. Yeah. And when we went to the, we talked to the guys about it, that they were, um, they were enthusiastic and the idea that, that their experiences could help others, um, was, was, was really big to them. And it's, it's interesting once we started really doing it, you know, we, we had gone into it assuming that the guys would want some privacy and that, that we would use, uh, pseudonyms. And the guys, the guys said, no, 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 no. Use our real names. Use our real stories. Don't, you know, don't gloss over anything. Don't sensationalize anything. Just kind of play it straight down the middle we we want people to know what it's like to grieve and and ways to kind of get better but it's not a how to book there's oh, there's no you should there's no how to's it's not instructive in that way um but i think describing the men's experiences and 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 uh incorporating kind of what what we know from other research i i think it is instructive but it's not a checkbook or how to and so, yeah, we, we've been thrilled. The book came out last year. Um, we were able to get a, a, a major publisher to, to, to... I know. And then, uh, yeah, we've been fortunate enough to have some uh, great publicity. We were on the Today Show, NPR, People Magazine did a story on us. And, of course, all these people and all these news organizations want to talk to the guys, not us. <laughs> as and, and so we went to the guys. We're like, you know, look you guys don't have to do this. And they all said, no, no, no. If it's going to help someone else, we'll do it. Wow. Um, and so they have been willing partners and I, I think it's been healing and helpful for them to have their story out there um, for others to hear. And, and all the proceeds and the royalties we make from the book go straight back to our program. So um, Don and I aren't, aren't keeping any, any, any um, profits or proceeds from it. Um, it's, but it's been amazing, and it's been great to talk to the guys about who we go see now, like once a year, uh, just for kind of reunion meetings, just about their experiences and their and their and their take. And one quick story I'll tell you: one of the followers in the group, Carl, told me just a few months ago. We we had a cup of coffee, and he he said he was at a party and like a, a cocktail dinner party or something, and in the conversation next to him. Not the one that he, but he was kind of overheard a little bit. There was a man talking about how he had lost his wife and had kids and someone had given him this book and he loved reading about the experiences of these men and even talked about a story, including Carl. So here was Carl listening to someone talk about him in this book that he didn't know. He said he turned around and introduced himself and 
and they had this instant connection. Um, so <laughs> wow, that is crazy. That just, yeah, I, I know. It, it just was a, 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 I think a real, a, a real boon for Carl to, to know that, that, you know, and he just happened to be, if he hadn't been there, he wouldn't have known, but that people were benefiting from what he's been through and, and from his pain and suffering and ultimate growth. Um, and you know, it, it's, the book doesn't have a necessarily a, a neat, tidy, happy ending where everyone's, you know, sunshines and rainbows. All the guys got better. Um, all the guys were able to put one foot in front of the other and find new skills they didn't know they had and find new, um, you know, avenues for growth. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean those wounds are, are ever fully healed. And I think coming to the point where that's part of the acceptance. Yeah. There is no closure. That, yeah, that, 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 you know, moving kind of the difference between moving forward and moving on from. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, yeah. And that they realize you don't have to move on from that to kind of grow and move forward with your own life is um, something I think that they help teach each other more than anything else. Wow. So I, I love research. I love UNC Chapel Hill. Don't tell my dad he loves Duke. Um, but <laughs> I, I love Chapel Hill. Um, great, um, innovative school. Um, and plus just the medical school and just everything around it. Um, so tell me what, what are you finding in the research or what kind of research projects are you doing now around grief and loss and, and what are you finding? Yeah, so the first research study we did um, back when our focus was just on fathers before it really expanded to mothers and fathers, we had um, a little over 400 dads um, complete a survey that um, asked about their current grief, their grief at the time of loss, um, depressive symptoms. Um, We had to create a scale that looked at um, widowed parent self-efficacy, kind of how well you thought you were doing as a widowed parent. Um, uh, growth, adaptation, and really kind of looked at all that. And what we found from our first study, which was just fathers, was that most of the dads thought they were doing a pretty good job as a parent, but that real cost and that they were prioritizing the needs of their kids above the needs of themselves, which is probably not shocking. And uh, you know, I, I, we've seen that in our groups, and I imagine most of us would be that way. Um, it's is that typical but, of caregivers? I mean, because you know, it tends. And there's to- not a whole lot of research on that, but yeah, I, I think you know when you were, you know, if you are in this situation and you lose a co-parent, the parental demands are at least doubled, and for a lot of these guys, it was a lot more than that. So there's just a lot more you have to pay attention to. And that's not even to mention that your child is now grieving a loss. And if you have multiple children at different developmental ages, that means different conversations and different explanations. And so it is easy and understandable to be consumed with, I got to keep my kids online. I got to keep my kids you know, moving forward. And the thought of kind of dropping balls as a parent and, 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 is is really common whether it's forgetting to sign a permission slip sure sure to go a field trip or whether you know what we have we've heard a million and one stories of of moms and dads feeling like they're dropping balls but most parents most of the dads in that first study really thought that they were 
doing okay in that regard, probably because that's where they put so much of their time and energy. But the grief levels were high. The depression levels, even two plus years out from grief, uh, from time of loss, the average depression score was higher than what we would consider the cutoff for clinical depression screening. Wow. Yeah. So it was, I mean, as you would imagine, right after the loss, the, 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 the depression scores and the grief scores were really, really high. And I think we would all expect that. Um, but six months, one year, 18 months, two years, 30 months out, um, they all got better as an average. The grief ebbed, the depression abated in some, but the average was still above what we would consider the clinical, uh, the cutoff for clinical depression. So, and you know, this, we're not even talking about starting to date again, you know, you know, yeah, it's starting to date. And and this is what's interesting. Um, you know, when I've dated other people since Rob's death, you know, I hear this like, hey, you know, I, I feel like I'm I'm in a relationship with the dead guy and you. If I can ask you, how, how do you respond to that? I say um, y- you are. Right. I mean, that's, you know, you are <laughs> because right. I, I can't I can't take that away. And, and I know that the many people that I have dated, they had to expand what they thought because Rob will always be a part of my life. Um, And now I'm doing this like national tour for two and a half years where I'm talking about Rob just about every day. And so people you date can, you know, it's like, hey, did you talk about Rob again today? I'm like, yes, I did. And so it centers around a lot, but you hope this will help other people know that death doesn't discriminate. and, And how do we deal with that? Yeah. And so dating, um, uh, you know, following a loss like yours or like the men and the women in our groups um, absolutely is a um, complicated endeavor. We 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 had one of the guys in our group um, that described this It's in the book that he remembered back when he was in his 20s and dating. And he, he said more that time it was more like solving a jigsaw puzzle, like all the pieces were there. You just you just had to find the right fit. But now, after losing his wife and having two kids at home and having to put their thoughts and feelings and having in-laws who maybe were in-laws or kind of in-laws or if they still in-laws, who knows, um, it wasn't – it was much more complicated and it was like solving the Rubik's Cube. It was, multi, <laughs> it was multidimensional. It wasn't just finding the right fit. And you knew there was a solution. You, you knew it could be done. Um, but how the hell do you start and how that absolutely how do you even judge what's success and and who gives up just thinking about it you know it's so yeah, complicated it's really complicated and i think it takes uh an added level of communication between the person like in this case you and your and someone you may be dating um about these things because you have to be honest about your feelings and um that there can be room in your heart for rob and for a new person that those don't have to be at odds with each other or one or the other, that there can be both. Um, but that's not normally how we think of dating right. and being with someone. It's right. You know, it, that's, that's, that's a new thing. And I think it takes a, um, it, it takes a little while to figure that out in a, in a way that's, that's healthy. And you know, the crazy thing is I'm, I'm really close to Rob's parents. Well, and there, so there's, yeah. A, yeah, there's another dynamic. And, you know, when you're doing a tour about a loss of a son, you want them involved. And 
Um, I, I am so grateful that I have that, but it, it can be complicated to understand for uh, people who want just solely you um, and not the, not the small baggage that you carry. Yeah. And how has it been for Rob's parents when you started dating again? Has that been hard for them? You know, we haven't had those conversations out. Um, but I will say that we've lost, we lost contact for a few years when I became uh, involved in a serious relationship because the person that I was dating was like, you know, um, can, can we just have a break? And yeah, but you know, now it's, it's a lot less complicated when I'm not dating um, someone, yeah. but I believe that Rob's parents, um, if I ever choose to get married, I think they would be there. I think they want to me to be happy. It's the other way how to explain to the person I'm marrying that these are, you know, one of my boyfriend's parents that happened to die of cancer and why they're at the wedding. Yeah, I, right. Because if you would have, you know, if you and Rob would have broke up or if you'd have been married and got divorced, then you almost certainly wouldn't invite right his parent. I mean, right. But And I do consider them as in-laws. I really yeah, do. I right. do. We, we have that type of relationship. They knew their son different in how I knew him. And together we kind of make a whole picture of who he was from childhood to to adulthood so it was it it's it's i'm i feel fortunate but it does get a little complicated let me ask you this what what are your hopes for continuing this program and the benefits that you hope i mean are y'all thinking about even online support groups that's a good question we we've we, we we have thought about it and we've we've toyed with the idea we we haven't pulled the trigger um for different reasons i guess but i we're thinking about that. Our our main hope is that other support groups will form, and there are already some that have um, around the country because there are tens and thousands of widowed moms and widowed dads in this country um, who, who don't live in chat only don't in, Chapel live in Chapel Hill, Hill or the surrounding <laughs> area. Absolutely right. There's a support group in Chicago. There's one that's getting off the ground in Seattle. There's one in um, Fort Myers, Florida, of all places, um, that have either been inspired by or I think uh, maybe taking a page from what we've done. Now, do you consult with them? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yay. Good. Yeah, yeah. And on our website, we have the website's mainly for parents, but there is a section for mental health professionals. And there's a whole section on how we run our group. We have kind of a model. Um, so there's there's no secret ingredient really. There's nothing uh, proprietary about what we're doing. We want others to do this, and there's there's really not uh, a great reason in our mind why these kind of groups aren't available everywhere. You know, there's support groups for everything under the sun. Um, Absolutely, and you know what? What I like is is that you in this kind of group it is face to face in we've lost sort of the art of having hard conversations because of technology well that's um, true it's easier to pretend yeah you know and yeah um and i i think we see that uh certainly with adults we see it a lot i think with adolescents and how they can get wrapped up in social media and technology but um yeah and as far as our experience it, it, you know, we've reached out to a lot of people and invite them to join the support group. And some, of course, have and some have not wanted to do that. And that's fine. It's not for everyone. Um, but our experience is that once our experience is that once people come and they come to at least kind of the first group 
and they see that it's not, you know, it's not just a cry fest the whole time or it's not people doom and gloom. Yeah. That or people sitting around singing Kumbaya or something that (laughs) real people talking about real issues um, that really matter that, that people stay. And that's true for men. You know, there's certainly a stereotype that's sometimes I think well-earned that men aren't as good at talking about or expressing their emotions. And our experience is once you get them in the door and really kind of create that forum and that space to, to do that. I mean, these guys go there, there's nothing off limits. Um, it doesn't feel like pretty special. Yeah. But, but getting them in the door is hard. Not, you know, all the guys will always say, uh, you know, I'm not a support group kind of guy. Um, you know, this isn't kind of my thing, but, uh, (laughs) either, you know, a friend persuaded me to come or I feel like I need to come here because, um, if, if I'm going to be a single dad lost at sea, I might as well be with some other people and figure out how to help my kids. Yeah. And, th- and a lot of times we see that people maybe come for their kids, kind of come to be, mm-hmm. but you know, they come for the kids, but they, I think they normally stay for themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you if, if there are people out there that want to begin to have a conversation about starting a group like this, how do they get in touch with you? They can get in touch with me, either our website, which is widowedparent.org. Um, there's a, a click contact me button or something like that that comes straight to my email. Awesome. Um, or you can just email me directly. It's justin underscore yop at med.unc.edu. Um, I would I would love the chance to talk to any professionals who are interested in, in starting a group in, in their area. And as, as far as for parents, too, we, we'd love to hear from parents. We'd love when... We get feedback on the website or feedback on the book, certainly. Um, and we should always share the book feedback with our the guys from the group. They That's you know. awesome. That is so awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I can't, did, did I send you a book? I don't know if I did. Yeah, I think you did. did I did. I? Okay, you, right. Yeah, you sure did. And right. it was, I, I mean, it was amazing because I, I, I still have it in my collection um, of books that I've read so many because of this podcast, which is, it really opens my eyes up. And, you know, women and men do grieve differently. Um, they really do. And and that was what came, in, obviously, throughout the pages of hearing how men um, cope differently um, than how I would have perceived. Um, and I, I would even highly recommend if you have a brother that lost a wife or a best friend that lost his wife, this is a great tool just to sort of experience some of the things that he may be going through that he's totally unaware of that Mike could help. But uh, Justin, I'm just so pleased uh, that this program is going is so successful. I'm, I'm so happy about the book. I'm so happy this is right in my home state of Chapel Hill. So right. yeah, when I get back, we have to have some coffee or absolutely. Uh, Let me know I would, uh, driving through on I-40. We'll- yeah, I will absolutely do that. My family, some of my family members are in Raleigh and I just, you know, one day I will be back in North Carolina. So you never know what we can get our hands in and, and continue your work at Chapel Hill and, and more on a national level for sure. But thanks for everything you're doing. And I will leave, I'll, I'll get those links um, in your bio so people can click right to it, order the book, or even uh, call you and consult about how to start something like this in their own community. Absolutely. I'm here. Wonderful. All right. Thanks, Kimberly. I really appreciate the uh, the opportunity to chat with you and and big time kudos to what you've what you've been doing. And, oh, thank you. And how how you've taken your own uh, you know loss and personal tragedy and um, are are really helping others. So uh, you know, I what I've 
Yeah, well, what I've learned is I think people don't die unless we stop talking about them. And I think that's really key is how do we keep individuals that meant a lot to us alive? Um, and that's, that's, this tour is, is doing that. And people 19 years after Rob has died is being introduced to this incredible person that just was tragically taken from us. But you know what? His, his legacy lives on for sure. So uh, thank you so much. All right. Well, it's great to connect. I look forward to that cup of coffee. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.